With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. What's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And today we're going to do a teaching called Men Pleasers. Men Pleasers. And I think that this is a really important teaching because the Bible talks to us about the fear of man. The Bible talks to us about pleasing men and not pleasing God. And I think that this is at least, man, 90% of the problem concerning us Christians is the fear of man. A lot of times God may call us to do things, but because we worry about the things that men will do to us, we just won't do those, those particular things. So Tonight, we're going to define men pleasers. We're going to talk about how it stunts the church, how it hurts us. And I mean, you can even use practical life situations to make that difference. Hey, Sister Teresa, you know, there, there's um, practical life situations that you can go through. Like if you were to take, for example, you know, two jobs that you may want and one job that you have is the one that you really want, but you've got the other job that you've been working. And you don't want to tell the new person that you've got that job still. So you'll try and cook up some story and go around it and just, you know, um, well, I can't start this minute. And, you know, that's not really important. And you won't tell your boss this, but you'll go on and take the new job. So that's kind of like men pleasing. Instead of just being honest and just coming out, hey, man, this is the situation. This is how bad it is. You know, can anybody help me with this? Or, hey, do you have time? And if they say no, then the answer is no. But we've become such a, a, a world of compromise and worrying about how people will see us and what people may do to us that it really keeps us from being honest, you know? And that's the way we should just be straightforward. This is what it is. This is how it's going. You know, I don't know if I'll be able to pay you this Thursday, you know, whatever it is. But that's helpful to us because. Other than that, you become a man pleaser. You will say anything to get yourself out of a situation, including not preach the gospel at the time appointed. You know, uh, Pastor Price and I were actually talking about it today, and he was saying how some men won't preach the gospel because they'll see a beautiful girl in the second row, you know, or something, and they know if they preach this, that girl ain't gonna like me or want to hang out with me. But you got to get past that mess, man, and just tell the truth and what it is because. If not, then you'll become a pleaser of men and not of God. And the dangers of that is that you will pick up a nature concerning pleasing men, and it becomes a part of you that you can't be truthful. And then when it comes time to stand before the Lord one day, you know, he's not going to care about, I was afraid. Now, we know that King Saul had this problem. You remember he was a people pleaser. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, it mentions that the only reason he brought back King Agag and he brought back the, uh, the sacrifices that came from the Amalekites was because he said that he feared the people. So you see, when you've got fear of the people, you will yield to the people and not according to God. God told them, I don't want any of the sacrifices from the Amalekites. I don't want, you know, Agag back. I want everybody slain. But, but Saul was just such a weak leader that 
He just obeyed man. He feared man. And when he did that, it put him on a collision course with God. So that's what we're talking about in terms of man pleasers. I can pull up the definition right now. So that way we know what we're talking about as we get into this thing. But yeah, it's all about being a man pleaser and it's dangerous to the body of Christ because a lot of pastors won't even preach the gospel to people out of being a man pleaser. It's much more fun to preach prosperity and to preach you know, peace and joy and love than it is to tell people about their nasty, filthy sin. When you do that, you become a man pleaser. So this is the word man pleaser or men pleasers. This is G441. And the word is anthroperiscos, anthroperiscos. And it means studying to please men, courting the favor of men. You know, a man pleaser is kind of like, and this is another one, it says, this is the word broken down to a risco. And it means to please, to strive to please, to accommodate oneself to the opinions, desires, and interests of others. So in other words, a men pleaser is kind of like a yes man. You've got no backbone, no spine. You don't stand for God for anything. You won't even stand for your wife or kids when you're a man pleaser because you want to accommodate people. So these are areas that I believe totally affect the church. And we've got to get to the place of, you know what? There's nothing wrong with loving men. But the only thing we need to truly be worried about is what God thinks. Because whatever God doesn't think of a situation, it doesn't even matter what you've got on the horizontal. It's what's happening vertical. What does he see? What does he believe? That's the only thing that we really need to be focused on because after all, he's the one that we're gonna face and he's gonna ask us why we didn't do the things that he called us to, all right? And um, we got two, I'm gonna splice one video. I think this was the most powerful message that Pastor Price ever preached in my opinion, You know, very anointed message and it's called Gestating Jesus. So we're gonna be, um, viewing parts of that, like in the beginning of this teaching and towards the end. But we're just going to talk about how, you know, men pleasers are so dangerous to the body of Christ and dangerous to our salvation. Because I'll tell you, once you set your heart and your mind to please men, it's hard to serve God. Man, it is. I mean, you wonder, will they even like me anymore? What will they think of me next? How will this be? And you'll find a lot of those things are lies and fantasies painted up by the devil. They just don't want you to stand for Christ. And that's why once you tell the truth and you just get it out, you just feel such a relief in your chest that you're not holding that weight anymore, but you just gotta be upfront. Hey man, this is what it is, you know, whatever. And hey, I didn't know it was gonna be like that, but that's what we're dealing with. You know, and they can either take it or leave it. But where have we come to the place of, I need people to be pleased. I need to be liked. That's all about self-love. And when you love self, you can't serve God because you're more concerned with how you're going to be received than what he tells you. Okay, so from here, let's pray and we'll get right into this lesson. Hey, Sister Dawn, Sister Teresa, Sister Tatiana, and Sister Tara. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time, Lord, that you've given us with my brothers and sisters near and far, that we have yet another day 
to be partakers of your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And I just pray in Jesus' name that you send the Holy Ghost, Lord, that you send the great comforter, he that is meant to bring us into all truth and righteousness, Lord, and that we may be full in the day of the Lord, that we may not be lacking. And I just pray that no man's heart be heard tonight, Lord. Let no flesh be glorified, but only by your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, that there will be edification, that we will have our eyes, our ears, our minds and our hearts open. So we just pray for, pray for a quickening of the spirit and that you teach us, Lord, everything about men pleasers. And I just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, and confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, that you cast him out like the dog that he is, that he has no interference with this message, Lord, that people may hear your words loud and clear. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right in. Let's start with Proverbs chapter 29. Let's go to Proverbs 29. Okay, Proverbs chapter 29, and let's look at verse 25. Proverbs 29 and 25. It says here, the fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Now you see, when it talks about a snare, a snare just sounds like a trap. I have learned over the years, how many times have you guys ever had someone ask you if you wanted to do something, and at the moment, you didn't really feel right about it in your heart, but you said, okay, ahead of how you were truly feeling. And now the person is like, great, I'll see you guys Thursday. And they're all excited and everything. And you're like, why did I say that I would do this knowing deep in my heart, I don't wanna do this. So then you get closer to the end of the week and then you call them in. <coughs> Yeah, not feeling too well today, uh, you know, or, you know, you'll just try and find a way out of the situation. Hey, um, something kind of came up and, you know, this and that is going on. And that's why the Bible tells us to let our conversations be yay, yay, or nay, nay, yes or no, because anything else causes strife. Now the person is relying on you. Now they're waiting on you. Now you're not going to seem like a person of your word. So you see the fear of man truly brings a snare because you know, man doesn't know everything, God does, okay? Sometimes man's plans go outside of the plans of God. So you can allow yourself to be snared and agree to things that God has never called you to do. This can even be done in terms of ministry. Just because, you know, the Lord might've told me, Derek, I want you to go out in the street and preach the gospel, doesn't mean that that's what you guys are supposed to do. You, you see what I'm saying? He may be calling you to something else at that moment. But if I say, hey guys, we need some people to really be there. Can you guys make it? And you guys say, yeah, I think we can be there. See, now you're snared because that wasn't what you were called to do. And then you're gonna feel bad getting out of it 
but you know, deep in your heart, you don't want to do it. So that's one of those areas where you got to say to yourself, you can truly be snared to fear man. Also, the fear of man also puts you on a collision course with God because God may tell you one day as a believer, I want you to speak to this person about me. And we'll say, man, you know, if I do that, I may offend them. It may not be right. They might be homosexual. This is in the workplace. It can get me in trouble. So those things will snare you because the Holy Ghost will eventually get to the place of, okay, I'm recognizing you're scared. I love you, but I got to go on with somebody else right now. You know, someone that's willing to go to get a job done. And I realized that when you obey the spirit and you obey God, he'll have your atmosphere subject to you instead of it being the other way around. God will begin to bring people in your life, even in the workplace, wherever you go. And it just seems like God is changing the whole atmosphere from administration all the way down to the people that are there. I can I can actually bear witness to this and tell you this is true, but it first begins with trusting God, you know, putting your trust in him because for you to be afraid to do something that God tells you, tells you that you've got no trust in God. And that's why he says the fear of man is what brings the snare. But whosoever put up the trust or his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Because you see, a lot of people have been told when they went into the workplace, preach the gospel. And some people have sat on it, waited, and you know what eventually happens? Your happy little lucky go job life that you got will begin to now tell you this is the way it's gonna be or else. I know people it's happened to where people have told me, you know what, I feel like preaching the gospel and I'm thinking that that's what I should do. But they sit on it and they sit on it and they sit on it. Then eventually you'll begin to see more homosexuals in the workplace. You'll see the boss will tell you, I don't want you using headphones anymore while you're working. So that takes out you listening to the gospel. Two people I know it's happened to. One was Sarah and the other was Melissa. You know, Melissa got to the place where she used to be able to be at her job with her headphones on, listening to the gospel and, you know, garagely fed. And the devil said, you know what? No more of that. I'm going to take those headphones from you. But see, here's the thing. If we preach the gospel to those people, you see, you can set up an atmosphere. The Lord can use you to build a network around you. But if you sit on that life, all you're going to do is be snared to the death, and the devil's going to take that ground. Yes, Sarah? Funny thing you said that because they actually brought it back to where we could listen to music and stuff like that. But you've been ministering. Yeah. You see, so God will make a way that while you're ministering, okay, I'll give you back those things because I see you need to keep your battery charged. But why would you recharge a battery that's not being used? There's no point in that. Like, what's the point? And I'm going to charge a battery. You don't even use it. So that's the sort of thing where God says, okay, I see you're going to need some help. I'm going to bring in some fellow believers. I'll get you friendships with lawyers and things that are Christian and know certain laws and things that can help you out. If you stand for Christ, he'll stand for you. But you've got to trust him because outside of that, it's just a snare. And that's why I made it clear in my mind a few years ago that if I'm gonna preach the gospel, I'm gonna preach the truth. I'm not compromising any of it because to compromise a bit of it will eventually make you compromise all of it. So I don't want the devil making inroads and into my heart and into my life because I'm not telling people the things that they need to know. So the devil will claim that area and then all of a sudden I pick up this compromising spirit where 
you know, well, I mean, I'm already not doing it this way. So why don't I just continue? Then before you know it, you're just not serving the Lord at all. So let's move on. Let's go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, and let's look at verse one. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm witness, guys. If you stand for Christ, he'll never leave you with the devil laughing in your face saying, uh-huh, told you you should have kept your mouth shut. Nah, man, that's not the God that we serve. So Ephesians chapter six, guys, let's look at verse one. And he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, uh, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So as you can see here, the good thing about God is, yes, it is the first commandment with promise to honor your father and your mother, but there's also a part here where, you know, God even tells the fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Okay, like don't pick on them because you know, a lot of parents will do this. When their kid is, you know, not right or, or certain things not right, the parent will make the correction. And then at times you'll see the parent come home and just bullying the kid for nothing. And then when the child speaks up, I'm the parent, you're the child. Yeah, but he was just sitting there quiet and you just came in and started this. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> you're frustrated on the job, you got things going on. So now you just want to take it out on your kid. So the Lord is saying, Hey, don't provoke your children to wrath. You know, just raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's what I love about God. He's fair. Look at verse five. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So what is God teaching us when you have employers and employees and things like that? He's teaching us obedience. He's teaching us just how you would, you know, serve someone that you work for. Hey, be right with me in the workplace, wherever you go. Okay, because that's a reflection of me. Be honorable. If they're paying you to do a service, then be honorable with it. But then he also says here, according to the flesh. So that means that the flesh itself has a limitation. The flesh is, yes, for my hard work, you pay me, I'm able to eat, I'm able to pay bills, I'm able to take care of my family but that's according to the flesh. Now, you know, when we get in terms of dealing with God, that's a spiritual thing. So that's where that trumps whatever is going on in the flesh. Hey, you need to be right towards me because I'm right towards you. God is watching all things. So if they try and put laws in play and things to try and give you fear to please God, then, hey man, you know, that was in the flesh. As far as I'm concerned, I'm going to serve the God of the Bible because that's who I need to pay attention to, you know, above all things, you know, because you can't, you know, the man can gain the world, but to lose your soul, man, that, that's unretrievable. I can always get another job. I can always get another life. God can always make a way. But now that I'm about to lose my soul, I can't get that back. So look at verse six. So as you do these things and as you serve in the flesh, he says, not with eye service. So what does that mean? Let's look up the word eye service real quick just to make this point. Because I want, I love the way the Lord does it, like what the Bible says, it's definition. So if you look at eye service, that's Ephesians 6 and 6, right? Okay. 
All right, Ephesians 6 and 6, that word is I service, that's G3787. That word means service performed only under the master's eyes, but the master's eyes usually stimulates a greater diligence. Uh, his absence, on the other hand, renders sluggish. So in other words, if you're paid to do a job, then you got to do that job as you're called to do. Because you see, if God teaches us discipline in this way or obedience, this is exactly the way we are to perform before the Lord, just as if he's there. So think about the lies we may tell. Think about the secrets we may have and things we got going on. We hold on to a lot of these things, even unforgiveness, because we think God is not listening. Because if you knew that he was, you would actually say to yourself, yeah, I need to confess this and I need to make it right because I know he's watching. So he's saying when you serve these masters, don't just serve them with eye service because they're there watching you. But look at the other thing he says not to do as men, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So it's also not as a men pleaser either. Eye service means they're watching me. So I'm going to act like I'm working while they're there. When they leave, I do what I want, but not serve as men pleasers either, because all actions and things that we agree to have something to do with the Lord. That's what's important, because when you seek to please men, it'll pull your heart away from the Lord. And that's why he says, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So even in the workplace or wherever you are, yeah, I'm doing this service. I'm performing it, doing right. Because for one, God is watching. God commands me to be honorable in the workplace to those who are your masters or your employer or whomever you're dealing with. But then there comes a point where he says, unto the Lord is why this is being done, not to glorify men. A lot of people will brown nose their boss for a position and all these things and whatever the boss agrees to. And you know that homosexuality is wrong but you sit there and you go along with it, that's a man pleaser. Even when you go along with things where it talks about that you are um, you know, okay with abortion or you just see things going on, somebody, a coworker stealing money, okay? And he's above you, you know, in those ranks and you sit there and, oh, okay, it's all right because he's your boss. No, that's not right. If you know this person is doing illegal business, hey man, I can't be involved with that because I'm not a man pleaser. I'm a pleaser of the Lord. As long as you're doing things within the law, fine. But if you're not, then hey, I've got to look towards the Lord and have this thing worked out. So he says, look at verse eight, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them for bearing threatening, uh, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So you understand that God himself is no respect of persons. Not only does the master, you know, we have to respect the masters and what they tell us, but the master ought to give you the right to do what you do. And that's why a lot of employers that have signed off on, you know, we're not to talk about Christ in the workplace and all this stuff, they're gonna have a rude awakening going on with them because they're going against the will of God. And that's something that, you know, God is going to say, well, you know, you were supposed to be standing for me, not for men. So, okay, because you okayed men, 
now we're going to have a problem. And, you know, we've all been guilty of this. We all have heard things in the workplace and done things that we were not supposed to do, but we agreed to. That's the important thing about repentance that God teaches us. Hey, I can repent. I can get by this. I can make it right with the Lord and he can treat it just as if you have never sinned. If we don't have the strength to stand up and do these things before the Lord, then pray for it. That's what God is there for. Lord, make me bold. Allow me to stand for you, Lord. This is what I need because what I want, I don't have right now. And God will strengthen you and build up you know, things around us to protect us, but we can't be men pleasers. If you're a man pleaser, you're going to agree with man and not with God. Okay, even you find a lot of so-called godly men in church will turn you away from the glory of God, teaching you false doctrine and wanting you to believe it, throwing you out when you show them what the Bible says. Those are men pleasers for those who sit there that know that they're sitting under garbage, but they sit there anyway because of the fact that I don't want to offend the pastor. You better be worried about Jesus Christ. All right, so let's move on. I want to go to one other place. Let's go to... Um, Let's see. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah 17 and let's look at verse one. A lot of people stay in messed up relationships trying to please men and not God. I'm not talking about if you're married. If you're married, it's until death do you part. But I'm saying, you know, on top of that, I mean, some people will even leave their relationships out of being men pleasers. It's just, man, you got to care what God thinks. Man will bring a snare around you because man thinks he knows, but, you know, what's coming out of his heart is really in the flesh, something to appease himself. And after this, we're going to hear a clip of Pastor Price in his video, Gestating Jesus. So look at Jeremiah 17, look at verse one. He says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and that the point of, of a diamond, and with the point of a diamond, it is graven upon the tables of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. While their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills, O oh, my mountain in the field, will I give thy absence and all thy treasures to the spoil and thy high places for sin throughout all the borders. And thou even thy shalt, even thyself shall continue uh, from thine heritage. And I gave thee, and I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger, which shall burn forever. So what you see here is Israel having the same problem that they've always had. They've been men pleasers. Okay, they've been worshiping other gods and worshiping idols. They're harlots, you know, idolaters. And the Lord is saying, you're going to continue serving them and your enemies because after all, that's what you're doing. That's why I take a lot of things serious concerning certain times of the year, because, you know, we don't understand how these things can affect God, you know, and God may tell us in some ways, you know what, you're going to serve your enemies until you realize that you've got a God to serve and you come up under him righteous. But the reason he says it is, is this, look at verse five. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So first, when man begins to trust in man, he can't trust in God. 
Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You're going to hold to the one and you will despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You know, so God is telling us that when you trust in man, you can't trust in God. And he says, curse be the man that trusted man. And he makes flesh his arm. What does that mean? His protection, his covering. I believe in man. Man sustains. Man provides. Man helps my reputation. Man wants me to feel good. So when I put my trust in man and I make flesh my arm, I'll do the works of men. I'll look for men to sustain me. And the Bible says, when you look for that, your heart will depart from the Lord. When you even look at the political system, you know, everybody's looking for the right man in office. Look at where it's led us today. While Christians are calling themselves voting for the right man, none of them, they all claim to be Christians, but none of them stand up for Christian values. They all support homosexuality. They all support abortion. Why? Because they got masters that they obey. But when you call yourself trusting in man and not in God, then your heart will depart from the Lord. And that's why you're hearing even the church in 2019 saying, we need to get the right man in office. The right man in office, that's Christ. And that's a man of God if you guys are serious about it. But you see, when the trust went to their government, you see, and they stopped having fear of God, look at the tyrants that are ruling over us today. The fear of man brings a stand because everybody should have been at the place when you had Obama come in talking all the, the stuff he talked about supporting homosexuality. When you had all these other guys come in and they were talking about what they were talking about, man, people should have been, man, forget this garbage. We're not doing this. We want you impeached. The church should have caused an uproar. But at this point, they were already in the churches. And you see what happened to the congregation. Now that the pastor is preaching trash, why didn't the people speak up? Because their trust became in man and not in God. Because people should have been, wait a minute, Pastor, hold up. I got a question. Now, wait, you want to repeat that thing again that you just said? Because the Bible says that this is the, hey, man, he's just a man. Nobody's saying you got to, you know, bow down to a pastor. He might be the man that God put in authority, but we're all under the authority of the word of God. So they should have raised an uproar. No, you hear this? Yeah, I hear this too. But now people are so asleep that if you turn to your neighbor and you say, man, that was wrong because the Bible says whatever. Was, shh, shh, pastor speaking. He must know what he's talking about. So just let him continue. He knows more than you. He's seminary educated. So when you put your trust in man, it will bring a snare. So you see what I'm saying? When you trust in man, your heart will depart from the Lord. You become a man pleaser, not a pleaser of God. He says, for he shall be like uh, the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabit it. So the man that trusts in man and not in God, his world is going to be barren. He's going to think that he's walking into a goodly place, but he's going to find out, man, there's no wheat here. There's only tears. You know, there's no food or source of um, life here. I'm in a dry desert because you might have been lured through a mirage. There's an oasis over there. Let me go and get some water. You see, that's the lie. Man paints things up so sweet and people go running to him. But you'll find out just when you stand in a desert, if God didn't lead you there, it's just a mirage. Now you got to go all the way back the way that you came with nothing. 
How many of us know in here, when you try and please men, that only lasts but for so long until you stop meeting the conditions that they want. And then they, well, give me my stuff back since you want to act like that. You see, that's man. That's how man is. But when God gives, the gifts of the Lord are without repentance. But when we're out to please men, we're going to find ourselves dry many days. Look at verse seven. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope of the Lord is. But he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when he cometh, but her, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So what is he pretty much saying? Their cup would never run dry. He would always sustain them just as you're using. You don't have to be worried in the time of drought. When you've got God, you've got everything. That's what Jesus tried to tell those people in John chapter six, when he took them into a desert place and the disciples were looking at how many pieces of food. The Lord was saying, you know, let me sit the people down. It's too far for them to walk. They've gone three days without food and he made it clear to them, I am the bread of life. Those who sought after the worldly things, those who put their trust in that, those things all caved in, you know, those things, those men who wanted their manna in the wilderness are dead. He says, but I'm your source of life. So he was trying to show you, did not feed a mass of 4,000, did not feed a mass of 5,000, put your trust in me and stop trusting in man and you will remain fruitful, but not just a fruitful tree, a fruitful tree by the river. Jesus said it best in this, uh, John chapter, well, we'll go there. I don't need to say it. So anyway, he says in verse nine, he shall never cease from yielding fruit. So we'll remain fruitful when we put our trust in the Lord. But he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's why you can't put your trust in the heart of man. You've got to put the trust in the heart of God. You can't even trust your own heart is what the Bible is saying here because only God knows the true heart. We've got a way of things being so painful in our lives, we'll never admit that we're sinners. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. We'll never admit that, man, I could be greedy. I could be selfish. I can be afraid. We won't do that. We'll, no, because you know, I'm good concerning this and that. You know, I just don't, I don't lie or nothing, but I do this and that. And then the Holy Ghost has got to come and pull the sheet off of you. And you see miles of dirt right behind you because that's the real you. So it's like, we've got to trust in God that he may show us our heart. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So if we put our trust in God and not in man, we won't be snared and our hearts will not depart from the Lord. How did the devil try and come to Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4? He offered him first the bread. The Lord said, man, I'm not gonna live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, obey, obeying God was more important than feeding my hungry stomach. And then after that, what did the devil try to do? Puff him up in pride. Prove to me you're the son of God. And then he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. What did he want? He wanted Jesus's heart to depart from the father. Good luck with that one. But you know, the Lord did what he did. And he, he made it very clear, I'm here to serve my father. So he was not a man pleaser. Jesus told the Pharisees, you whited sepulchers, 
you dead men's bones. How can you escape the damnation of hell? He told them what they needed to know. And I'm not gonna lie, some people need to hear that. I can look at points in my life that I needed to hear that, to break down strongholds in my life, to show me my error, that I may make it right with the Lord. So that's always important is that we allow the Lord to show us. You were gonna say something? I don't know why, I thought I heard something. That's weird. weird. I think he does. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, so let's hear this clip on Pastor Price. This is called Gestating Jesus because I believe this is the source to all of our problems. If we've got Christ formed in us, we're definitely not gonna please men. We're gonna do the will of the Lord. All right, so from here, let's get in. This was such an inspired teaching, man. Man, oh man. Okay, here we go. Cut your hand off, lay it on this floor, and that hand gonna rot. You know why? Because it's separated from the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. You cut off a member from the blood supply, it's going to die. How do you get your hand? You got circulation not going into your fingers. Watch your fingers, you rot. Because the blood flow is cut off. Organic life needs to be attached to the source of the organic life. If you're separated from Jesus, you're going to die. That's why you can't be once saved and always saved. You got to abide in the vine, good buddy. You got to stay appended to the person that saved you. I'm going to show you how that works in just a minute. You got to understand the Lord Jesus Christ. Gestation is very important. It's the only thing that matters because the gospel is is an organic thing. And he has to grow in you. Everything appended to salvation is about the growth of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in what? Birth again until what? Christ be formed in you. Christ has to be formed in you. You got to personalize that. Christ has to be formed in me for me to make it in now what you have to ask yourself is christ formed in me has christ come to full stature in me has he organically been developed in me you take any given person and there's no evidence of christ where's the where's the emotions of christ where are the feelings of christ where's the attitude of christ what the bible calls the fruit of the spirit that gives evidence that christ has been forged in you love joy peace long suffering goodness gentleness meekness temperance and faith against us there is no law god is not dependent on you and you and me to do this work down here god only deals with god he don't have nothing to do with being you he's dealing with christ in you which is the hope of glory Everybody can walk around looking good to folk. I mean, Emmanuel got dressed today. She did her hair. She did her makeup. She got some nice heels on. The outfit matches real nice. The shoes match the dress and everything. Got her hair laid out. Got her makeup on. Man, the watch is nice. That's an MK watch. That's a nice watch. <laughs> she can go through the hotel lobby right now. She can pull about five or six guys just walking 10 feet. They yell at her. 
They ain't like to see him. She can walk through the mall and pull some fellas. She can be out there on display and want attention. But in the long run, what about Christ? What about Christ in you? What about them seeing Christ? Who cares how your hair looks? What about Christ? Does anybody care about the Son of God? She had these two boys. Life has to be sustained right through after the birth. She had the baby. She cared the baby. She just had the baby. The baby was born. That baby need breast milk. Now the baby's diaper got to be changed. Now the baby got to be fed. She is still the source of life. Even outside of the womb, she still got to maintain these boys because she's the source that gave them life. Right. What about Christ? Yeah. If you're gestating Jesus, how are you going to have Jesus forming you, birth out of you, and not sustain him? Not feed him, not supply his needs. What about Christ? Everybody is thoroughly focused. I look nice, but what about Christ? Little Mary tells Gabriel the archangel, according to your word, be it done unto me. Jesus is then formed in her womb. Just stays in her womb. She's birthing Jesus. Jesus died, we got to be changed. Jesus did a bottle. Jesus got to be birthed. Jesus, a little baby. Two o'clock feeding, four o'clock feeding. What about Jesus? Man. You're going to abandon the boy now that he's born? This is the son of God. And you got to feed this boy. You got to birth this boy. The boy got to have his diaper changed. He got a boo boo diaper that only smell good. That's the son of God. Jesus. And everybody care about me. What about Christ? Does anybody take care of Christ? Is anybody tending to Christ? What does he need? Everybody looks so good. Everybody dressed to kill. Everybody walk around to start the show. What about Christ? What about Christ? I don't care nothing about him. I care about me. How I look. What you think about me? I'm in the limelight. But what about Christ? 7.4 billion people down to hell. Don't nobody care. No man caring. They need Christ. And the only way they can get to Christ is if you, Emmanuel, allow Christ to form in you so that he can reach them through you at your expense. A baby's carried to birth by a mother at the expense of that mother. That baby's drawing calcium from that mother. That baby's drawing iron from that mother. That baby's sucking all the nutrients out of that mother. That's why you feel like you feel carrying the baby. But if you're forming Christ, if Christ is gestating, he's sucking everything out of you. Yes. That's why you go through what you go through. Because he's been formed in you. He's gestating. You're dying for Christ to live. You can't let Christ come forth when you're alive because you block him up. You are seen. Your emotions, your feelings, what you care about, what you like. What about Christ? What does he like? Where does he want to go? If you got dressed this morning, what did he want you to put on? Not what you want to wear. What about Christ? What about Jesus Christ? Are you willing to carry the Son of God to full term and have it manifest himself? That's what this is all about. This thing is organic. 
It ain't found in church. They got folky into themselves. And they build religious works to self. So we can glory in it. And hold mega fest. And stop someone talking about stupid Christian rap. What about Christ? All this energy burned up for humans to be seen. It stinks in the nostrils of God. God only deals with God. Christ is who he deals with. Not me and you. We're manifested sons if Christ be formed in us. You see the apostle saying, I'm laboring with you in birth pains till Christ be formed in you. Because he knows God only deals with God. God don't deal with folks. Folks are nasty. Folks are unclean. Folks are filthy to God. I'll deal with Christ. To the degree degree you allow Christ to form in you, God the Father will bless you and rest on you. The Holy Ghost will come and baptize, not you, Christ in you. He don't baptize no humans. You see, you can't receive the Holy Ghost until you receive Christ. Because he only comes on Jesus. He's not going to come on me and you. Because we're dirty and filthy. We're fleshly. We're carnal. We're not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. This thing being ready to change up down here, buddy. You better get ready for a rough ride in now. If you're a sinner, but if you're a saint, man, you're going to get the Holy Ghost and he's going to fill you. He's going to send you because you finally abdicated your life to Christ. Yes, Lord. I was telling Mary this week. She got full of the Holy Ghost in her mama's house talking in tongues. Can't stop all day. Why? Because she gave her life to Christ. But the same thing it took for you to get Jesus is going to take the same thing for you to keep it. The hunger, the thirst, the longing, the days and nights spent in prayer and fasting, isolated and set up with him. Man, you can't get Christ without spending time with Christ. You got to have a spiritual intercourse with Christ to have that turbine spinning inside of you, that fire burning in your soul. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be glamorous. Everybody wants to be in the limelight. But what about Christ? What about Christ? I don't care nothing about him. Let the baby be born and rot over there for all I care. What mother would have a baby in swallowing claws and throw the baby in the gutter and walk away like a lot of girls do today? Leave the baby in the dumpster to die dead and haven't given birth to the baby. What are you? What are we? This is the son of God. The God is invested in your spirit to gestate it to full stature and everybody just cut him off. And spin in his face and let him die. Let him die for me to live. Oh, I'm dead, right? I'm right. Amen. Amen. Your organic gospel works in terms of organic displacement. One life must be abdicated to the, to allow the other one to live. You can't have both lives. One got to go. Yes. Ishmael got to go for Isaac to leave. Esau and Jacob can't cohabitate together. Somebody got to go. The child of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the child of the free woman. Somebody inside of you, somebody got to go. You got to choose me or Christ. If you don't allow Christ, you are guilty of the crucifixion of Christ because you'll die again. The Bible says you crucify the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. You killed him. You're a Roman soldier that put a spear through his side. You're the one that had the nails happen on him and he nailed him to the cross. You're the same guy. 
you're guilty of the crucifixion of Christ. He says he's going to be crucified afresh and put to an open shame because I chose me over Christ. Oh, I'm dead right. I'm right. Make no apology, man. We're the end of the age now. The world is dying because the Christian is loving self. And they rot on the vine, and God begs from heaven, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the Lord's harvest. These folk are dying on the vine, and nobody will go. He says, Who will go for me? Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell upon the people, amongst the people with unclean lips. But I'll go. I'll go. And I flew an angel from the altar with a burning coal and put it on his mouth. And I cleanse your mouth to represent me. I cleanse your mouth to talk for me. Because somebody got to be a sounder of the trumpet. Somebody got to say something. You got to lift up your voice and spare not. You got to cry aloud in the marketplace. Man, you need Christ. You're dying on the vine, man. I can inseminate you. This thing is about insemination. The Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed through that day on his way to the cross. Death, the place of crushing. Semony, semen, insemination. He crushed the semen out of himself. That's what he did. He provided semen to inseminate you and me in Gethsemane. He prayed through it till he was crushed. And out of his loins flowed semen to conceive Christ in you. Blood mixed with water. Droppers of blood like what he was crushing himself in order to inseminate billions of souls for the kingdom of God. That's what Gethsemane means. Crushed. And the word semen comes from semen. Crushed in a wine press until the semen of God flowed out of him to inseminate the races. Inseminate the masses for God the Father. He was the inseminating seed of God. One life dying inside of you allows the other one to live. We're so full of ourselves. Everything in the world stimulates self-love, self-exaltation, self-gratification. Delusions of grandeur, me and the limelight. All about me, me, my, and I. But what about Christ? We care nothing about him. Death always begins life. A seed dies in the ground, cracks open, and the life comes out of the seed. Christ came in, and you see how the pressure around you in life begin to crush you? Because there's somebody in you that's another being. He's got to crush you for him to come forth. What's happening? You look at an egg. A chicken has an egg that it laid. It's a life in that egg, but it's surrounded by a hard shell. You want to see that chick come out of the egg, what's got to happen? You got to crush that shell. You got to be broken for Christ to live. Can't you see your life keep leading back to being broken? Every time you thought you were getting ahead, he leads you back to a place, a place of breaking. A broken spirit and a contrite heart you won't despise. When you rise up full of yourself, he'll break you down. Every time you rise up, he'll break you down again. Every time you thought you were getting ahead, financially broke you back down. Until you don't trust in it anymore. I bought a house, it foreclosed. I bought a car, they repossessed it. I got married, ended in divorce. Are you trying to figure out what's going on? 
He got the break Because you're doing it in your own strength. You did it with your own mind, your own will, your own emotions. You made your own plan. You had a way that seemed right unto a man, but the end, the end led to destruction. It looked good. It felt good. You thought you had it all figured out. But it's the wrong deal because it wasn't instituted by Christ. You got to fast your way into an arena where you got the mind of Christ. And you obey what the mind of Christ tells you to do. Everything else is nothing but a dead work of the stinking flesh. I wish it was pretty, but it's not. This thing is about birthing Jesus. Jesus is God, so it's all about birthing God. God has to be birthed. Look at a short presentation, 30 minutes long, by Berkland Denon on birthing God. And we'll get back to the real root problem of us down here delaying the manifestation of the sons of God. God wants sons to come forth and it's being delayed because of this insidious plan of Satan that must be exposed and expunged from the body of Christ. So we'll listen to Berkeley and talking about birthing God. And then we'll get into the climax and the culmination of this message about gestating Jesus. Right. So what he was pretty much talking about is to get full of Christ. When he was talking about Christ dying, you know, when we all given our lives to Christ, I believe that the Lord gives us like a little portion. He influences us with his spirit to seek after more. But because we're believers, if we never fully bring forth Christ and get to our fullness, he's saying that it's pretty much the same thing as putting Jesus Christ back on the cross and hammering on him. You want to kill him because you don't want him to take preeminence and come alive in your life. So you see, we become men pleasers in many ways. No other reason, not just to please men, but to please ourselves, that we may be in good standing with man. That's what this whole thing is about. But then if man gets to live the easy life and a life that he doesn't have to suffer any persecution, how can Christ be brought forward? Jesus says, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow after me. So you see, taking up that cross is dying daily. You may get ridiculed. You may get mocked. You may lose a lot of friends. You may get thrown in jail. You may lose your job. But this is all a part of the process of dying out to you and becoming alive to Christ, trusting in Jesus in every single situation. But there's a part of our flesh that wants to please others and ourselves and we just leave God dormant. And this is what he's speaking of. We need to bring forth Christ by getting stronger in him so we won't be men pleasers and we'll be pleasers of the Lord. So I got another clip of that video I wanna play a little bit later, but right now, let's go to Luke 16 and just look at uh, verse 10. Luke 16 and 10. And I got an article I wanna read too about, you know, one is about people pleasers and the other is about the fear of man because the fear of man itself causes us to do some crazy things. Fear itself causes us to do crazy things, but fear of man does something really special to us. So, you know, when he says God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and of a sound mind, then you know that we're supposed to be trusting God. God don't want you to be anxiety stricken and worried and going through all this. God wants your mind clear so that he can speak to you and work through you, okay? So look at verse 10. This is Luke 16 and 10. It says, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. 
And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. So what is Jesus Christ looking at here? A nature. See, now some of us want to go to heaven and we'll say, well, Lord, I didn't talk to that person. I didn't do whatever you told me to, but can I still get in, please? You know, the only problem with that is this. God's looking at the nature. This is what we're discussing here is nature. If you're faithful in few, you'll be faithful in many. If you're unjust in few, you'll be unjust in many. Being unjust, no matter how small a situation is, says a lot about your heart. You see, it says a lot about your nature. Being faithful with few says a lot about your nature. You don't just decide to become a parent because you got one child, and then when you get two more, you're gonna start loving them that much more. No, you're gonna, it's gonna be in you to love your children and to love as many as you have that come along. But you see, if you're unfaithful with that one child, and I see this all the time concerning men and women, they'll have a child by some man that don't care anything about them, and they think the solution would be to go out and get another man. And they'll do that, but you know, they're neglecting that kid. You know, they're in pursuit of self, they're pleasing men, and they're not worrying about their second kid or their third or their fourth. So what do you have? A bunch of kids out of wedlock in a situation where the mother is seeking to please self, but not looking at the children. You see, that can happen. So she's unfaithful to all those children simply because one, she's not faithful to God. Two, she doesn't know how to love her kids and she's gonna treat everything in her life that way because if you're unfaithful over the few, you'll be unfaithful over many. God looks at this, even in terms of pastors and other people. If you don't even treat the people right, the small little group that, that God is working with you with, how can you treat a whole congregation? You're gonna be just as low down and dirty and self-centered as you would be with more. That's the way it goes. God has to start us off sometimes in humble means to see us grow and to branch out and to do other things. So you see, this is speaking of a nature. If you're unjust in little, you'll be unjust in much. If you only don't speak about God when you're at work or you're here or school or there, it only shows that you really wouldn't do that anyway when you get in unfamiliar territory. You see, don't say, well, I'm strong when I'm out talking to certain people, but at work I'm weak. Don't believe that. The problem is your nature is still not fixed because you know what? You're picking and choosing. It's only showing under pressure, you'll revert right back to who you are. So that's something that we've got to have the Lord work on us with. Because some people say, well, I told a little lie because I didn't want to hurt him. You're still lying. And that shows that you're a liar, no matter who you just lied to. So that's the sort of thing you want to get right with God. So that way we can come before him righteous and he can work with us. All of this has to do with pleasing men. How many times have we lied not to want to hurt somebody? You ain't doing them any favors and you're damning your own soul. Look at verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? This is the other thing. A lot of people would be blessed more if they trusted God. If you don't even know what to do with the unrighteous mammon, how, what can you do with the true treasures of God? What would you do with the Holy Spirit if God gave it to you if you don't even know what to do with the world's money and things? If he gives you the spirit, you know, you're going to be more diligently seeking to help people and to do different things because you've got a great treasure. So now I want to share that treasure with everybody. So if you can't handle the riches of men, how can you handle the riches of God? That's something to think about because we all want to walk on water. We all want to cast out demons. We all want to lay hands on the sick and recover. 
but God's got to look at the nature because if you're slack concerning some things with God, you know what you're gonna do with the power? You're gonna let the, the water run out of the bottle and you're gonna perish. You're not gonna continue with it. You see, it's amazing how God chose Paul. Paul was hard working at killing Christians. He was hard working and persecuting Christians. He probably didn't let a day go by before he rounded man, woman, or child, anybody that was under Christ into prison. All God did was take him and reverse his nature, and Paul became that diligent even for the kingdom of God because it was in his nature. Paul wasn't a man pleaser. If he was a man pleaser, when it came down to it, he would have been, oh, well, you know, there's women and children here, and the governor told me whatever, so man, I can't do this. Paul did his job to the, to the you know, whatever, to the brim. Whatever I can do for them, I will do. When God saved him, whatever I can do for the Lord, I will do. Even when he had to confront other disciples, it said a lot about Paul's nature, not being a man pleaser, and no servant of the Lord truly is. You may love man, you may do right by man, but when it comes to compromising the truth or anything, sorry, buddy, I was with you until that came. Now I'm gonna stand for Christ. So that's what he's talking about concerning men pleasers. But look at what he says in verse 12. He says, and if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? So a lot of women will even pray for a husband. A lot of men will even pray for a wife. They may pray for children and all that. But if you're not even faithful, even to the little kids that you may have to watch over, even if you're not faithful in treating other people's wives and husbands with respect, how can God give you your own? Think about that. If I'd rather commit adultery than to actually have a wife myself, that says a lot about my nature. So why would God trust you to give you more? If you can't take care of things that belong to other men, why would God set you up in the kingdom so you can do the same defiling thing to him? Look at what he says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, but either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous, that meant they were greedy, heard all these things and they derided him. So now they're attacking Jesus because Jesus just hit on their finances of how faithful they ought to be with the unrighteous mammon and how they ought to treat others. Being a good steward. Look at verse 15, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. But that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. So we must look at how does God see it? What does his word say about it? Because if we seek to please men, it's gonna pull us away from what God wants. Many days I've been in that car with some dope smoking lowlife, okay, that I'm trying to talk to about the Lord, but I'm taking a ride with them. You know, sometimes you may have lunch with them. You may do other things with them. And you know, you're not even supposed to be in their company. You know that God told you to part from them. You meet with them in another place and do whatever, but you go along for the ride and you find, I mean, you can just feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, well, now that you're in the car, tell them about their sinful life. Tell them everything that they're doing so that they can receive me. And we kind of, you know, I'll talk their talk. I'll walk their walk, at least until I get out of the car. Now you're sitting there frustrating and suffocating and grieving the Holy Spirit, all because you wanna be a man pleaser, but you're not seeking to please God. 
and you don't do that person any favor. They go to hell, you know, at the end of it all. But we got to seek to cry aloud and just say what the Lord tells us to say. Look at Galatians chapter one. Yeah, that's the worst feeling in the world to be a Christian and to know the right way, but you can't do it, man. You feel like such a coward. Man, like, why didn't I just stand up? Why didn't I say what you wanted me to? And the devil wants you to feel that shame, but God wants you to be set free. It should not be to the place where the devil is tempting you to speak up. The devil should be trying to shut your mouth. And you see, when you're really making an impact on his kingdom and God shows when the devil begins to see that you're somebody that will say anything, oh, you're going to be excluded from family picnics. The pastor won't even send you an invitation to come along for the barbecue because he knows that you're going to preach Christ. There are many times I went to go someplace and they said, yeah, you can invite Derek, but now look, don't start talking no new age stuff. You know, just, you know, love everybody. Look, we're all here to love. No one wants to judge. Why are you telling me that? Because the devil knows that you're going to preach Christ and that's going to make people feel uncomfortable. You'll even have family members saying, well, you know, your cousin or somebody is a homosexual. So now look now, you know, we got to love one another and be family. You see, the devil should be tiptoeing around you, not the other way around. Because when you proclaim Christ and you speak the truth, man, things are going to happen. But that's just the way it is. You got to trust God, man. Look at Galatians 1, and let's look at verse 7. He says, uh, well, actually, verse 8, Paul is making clear here, but if we, though we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So Paul is saying, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. I don't care if he came in glistening light. If he's preaching a different gospel than you have heard us preach, he says, let that individual be accursed. He says, as we said before, so say I now again, that if any other man preach any, if we, or if any man preach any other gospel uh, unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. So we should be holding pastors accountable when they say the wrong things. I'm not saying argue with them, but you can show them where they're wrong in the scriptures that they may get it right. What does this keep us from doing? being men pleasers, because this is all about God. So look at verse 10, the question is asked, for do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So a man pleaser cannot be a servant of Jesus Christ because he's going to compromise the gospel. Look at verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which is preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as you can see here, Paul is saying, man, you know, the gospel of me being in ministry wasn't given by men. So why should I seek to please man? This came from the Lord. So that's what Paul is making clear here. All right. So anyway. He's recognizing this is the work of Christ. He says in verse 13, but ye have heard of my conversation, my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion. So this is not the Christian faith. This was the Jews' the religion. This is the religion of the Pharisees. He says, how that beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. 
So you see, when you're religious, you're also a man pleaser because people can sit in a church week after week, year after year, and realize, man, I'm not being spiritually fed. I'm not even learning the truth in here. The pastor is preaching the exact same sermon, but as a man pleaser, I'll just sit here. But what he's making clear here is that this was the Jews' religion, and while he was in that religion, he wasted and persecuted the church of God. You'll find most people in churches do not like Jesus Christ. They like the religious Jesus. They like the fictional, fictional Jesus. They like the Catholic Jesus. They like the homosexual Jesus. They like all these different Jesus. Jesus, the magic guru. You just rub on your magic lamp. You name it and claim it. And Jesus just showers down miracles from heaven. That's the Jesus they love. But the one that teaches denial of self, take up your cross, follow after me. If you love anything more than me, including mother, father, son or daughter, husband or wife, you cannot be my disciple. That's the one that they ignore. The one that says that my house, my, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. That's the one that they can't stand. The one that comes, tells us the truth and wants everything to be right. That's the Jesus that they attack. And that's the only true Jesus that the word of God speaks of. Yes, Sarah. Well, and just what you read in Matthew 10, you know, verse, well, what, what is it, uh, 32 and on? Mm -hmm. He can't be an all-inclusive Jesus because if he was, he would have just contradicted himself. And he would also be a pleaser of men. Exactly. What do people want today? A 24th century, 21st century Jesus, one that accommodates everybody. Let's just love. God can show you who he is in his own way, not according to this Bible. So Paul's saying, while he was in the Jews' religion, hey, Brother Mark, he made it very clear that, you know, these things went wrong. So he says, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals. So he was successful. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. So what drove him? How he would be seen in his lineage, how his tradition was. We've been Baptist for 40 years, and you know, we were Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when we die, we'll be Baptist dead. This is what he's talking about. People will find themselves clinging to tradition and not following God. Why? Because they're men pleasers. So then he says, but when I but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. So what did God call Paul from? His traditions, his religion. He got a jump start away from the mother's womb. You know what that means? He's born again. The old life does not compare with the new. And he recognizes that he was called by the grace of God. He says, uh, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So we understand here that Paul was given the grace to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles, those who never heard of Christ, those who would, you know, didn't want to receive Jesus. This is what Paul was called to. And he says immediately he conferred not with flesh and blood. So it was no more about the people, no more about my tradition, no more about feelings, but the son of man, the son of God, who is Jesus Christ, needs to be preached to these unsaved people. He went from being a people pleaser to a pleaser of the Lord. And this is something that we need to look at. So he says, 
Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. So Paul himself got to know the Lord himself before he went and sat up under Peter and all the others that were established in the church. He was not a people pleaser. When God grabbed him, God separated him, built him up for three years, and then brought him into the fold as a whole man that might have been you know, used to do certain things with the disciples. But Paul wasn't relying on Peter to get a job done. And Paul didn't care what any of them thought. All Paul cared about was what the Lord thought. And that's what made him the busiest and most successful apostle of them all. Yes, Sarah. Well, also, right after Paul's conversion, he had to go right back out to the people that he wants, you know, socialized with. That mm -hmm. was who he first preached. That's right. And then they wanted to, and that's why they had to lower him down on the basket mm -hmm. uh, off to the side because they were like, wait a minute, isn't this Saul? And now he's preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. So they, they wanted to get rid of him. Yeah. And look what God did to him. God didn't take him someplace and just protect him. Like, man, don't worry about it. The Lord made it clear on the road of Damascus, you're going to suffer for my name's sake. So Paul knew what he was called to, and he got in it. And like he said, he was in the town. I forgot what town that was in Acts 9. He started preaching, and a war broke out. I mean, they were, wait a minute, is that Saul of Tarsus? And you can imagine they're sitting there gritting their teeth. And while he's proclaiming the Lord boldly, they said, that's it. Give me that rope and get a knife. We're going to deal with this guy. And then when Paul and Barnabas, they had to run him and hide him out of town. So you see, God will put you right in the midst to let people hear the gospel. But he does say, if you're persecuted, flee to another city. And that's what he did. But this governor was after Paul, and he had to be lowered down in a basket by night to escape the governor's hands. So you see, when you're not a people pleaser, you're going to go through all sorts of changes. But you know what? All that matters is God is pleased. Jesus says, don't fear him who can kill the body. You fear him who can kill the body. And then when he's done, cast the soul into hell. Right. We need fear of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, when you fear the Lord, you won't fear man. But when you fear man, you'll have no fear of God. You've got to choose who it is that you fear and whose fear is going to be better, more beneficial to you than, than the other. Because the fear of man won't do much except make you a servant or slave, but the fear of God sets you free. Okay? And that's what it's all about, God getting the glory. So he says, and after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James of the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. Afterwards, I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, of which were in Christ, but they had, but they had uh, heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith uh, which once uh, he had destroyed, and they glorified God in me. So it was God inside of Paul that was doing the work, and they were giving the glory to God. How God used such a wretched sinner that would have to go back to the very people he was persecuting, and to you know humble himself and preach the gospel. Man, that takes a lot. I mean, and this is why a lot of people today can't admit that they're wrong because they're pleasers of self. They may teach something, be wrong and continue teaching it wrong or never bring it up again or jump on the side of what's right 
but never admit to the people you were wrong. That's wrong. That means to be corrected and made right because humility keeps you in the fear of the Lord. You just told somebody something wrong one day, get it right and tell people where you're wrong so you won't be pleasers of men, but will become a pleaser of the Lord. Anyone that's gonna be a pleaser of God has got to deny self because as long as you're worried about your reputation, you cannot serve God. So let's look at verse, uh, the next chapter. Let's look at uh, uh, verse eight and uh, chapter two. This is Galatians two, look at verse eight. It says, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me towards the Gentiles. So what does that mean? Peter was sent to the Jews, Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Then he says, and when James Cephas, which is Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived of the grace that was given unto me, they, uh, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So he says, you know, that these guys were pillars of the church. They were like, in some ways, I wouldn't say the founders, but they were the ones that came up out of the upper room. They walked with God. He made them apostles. He filled them with the spirit. So when, um, you know, he came, Peter and those guys were first skeptical, but then they said, you know what? He is, you know, with the Lord now. So we welcome him in open arms. That should have been enough for Paul to shut his mouth and just say, you know what? Man, I'm in good standing with God's people, but that's not what happened. Why? Because Paul was not a pleaser of men. Look at verse um, 10. He says, only would that uh, we should remember the poor, the same which I also was uh, forwarded to do, or, or forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from, a uh, certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So as you can see here, Peter at one point used to sit with the Gentiles, treated them as brethren, but now there comes a point because he feared the other Jews that were there, probably asking him, why are you hanging out with them? So in order to fear, to please the people, he feared them and stopped sitting with the Gentiles but would only sit with the Jews. So now we got a problem here. You know, a lot of people are racist today because of the fear of man. They may know in their hearts that it's wrong, but they won't stand against it because, you know, I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be called a house nigger. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be called that person that just, you know, he's you just following the white man, but you're not following our tradition. Well, hey man, if your tradition is wrong, we need to follow Christ. I don't have a color in this but you'll find a lot of people, even white people, may know something is wrong. And then, you know, they don't wanna hear their friends. Oh man, you don't turn nigga love on us. You see, they don't wanna get to that place. They wanna get to the place of being loved and accepted. So they won't say what needs to be said. They'll go to a predominantly all white church. Not that it matters what church it is, but they'll do that because I don't wanna be ridiculed and mocked. But as you can see, Paul didn't care. Let's look at what he did. So he says in verse 13, and the other Jews uh, dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also 
was carried about or carried away with their dissimulation. So Peter, because he was such a figure in the church, he's now got Barnabas who was in line with ministry with Paul, now following Peter and sitting away from the Gentiles. So you see, this is actually like bringing it, making things bad because Barnabas is a respecter of persons. Well, Peter is doing it, so it must be okay. But look at verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Um, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. So you see, he, he corrected Peter. He confronted him on the spot. You know what you're doing is wrong. The fact that you wanna be racist and Jesus Christ didn't teach this. So you see, he confronted him, but you know what? This got Peter back. How far would Peter had stooped if not for Paul saying what he said? Peter might've been kicked out of the household of faith. You never know you know, because he was carried away with his racism. So we should never be men pleasers if it goes against what God wants. We've got to tell brethren what they need to know so you can get your brother back and in line with the truth. There's too much fear of men in the church today, and this is keeping us from serving the Lord. I'll make two other points, and then I'll read this article, and then we'll listen to another short clip. But um, let's look at... Uh, Acts, uh, let's see, and let's go to Acts 5, Acts chapter 5. Amen. To live in fear is miserable. That's a miserable life. And they say a coward dies a thousand deaths. That's the truth. Sometimes you're best just telling people what's what and getting it over with than to live in that bondage, you know, because the devil will stick more than that to you. That's why they say when you lie, you got to tell a lie to protect a lie. Yeah. And then you got to tell another lie. Then you got to remember the first lie you told. Because some people will say, wait a minute, I thought you were at your uncle's. Oh, no, no, no. I was at my uncle's. But then I went to my aunt and then I went here and then I went there. Whatever. Man, that is miserable. Yes, Sarah. And the thing is, too, is that. You know, even if you tell people at work or they come up and you may be segregated at work, but at least mm -hmm. people know where you stand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was talking to someone today, uh, it was towards the end of work, but they brought up and they said, I want to know, they're like, I'm just curious what your stand on abortion is. So I'm not for it. Mm -hmm. I said, it's murder. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a God created man. I said, you know, human life begins at conception. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, they got a little upset by that, but it, they know where I stand. Yeah, you know, the Lord told me last year, I remember, you know, we had just got a new uh, principal in. And, you know, we were going through the little drills that we were having orientation about, like, what's your favorite food? If you met somebody famous, you know, who would you want to meet? What land would you go to if you could travel there? Whatever. What animal would you be? You know, all that stuff. So. I'm sitting there boiling and churning through the whole process. And the Lord told me, I'm getting ready to have you represent me here. So hopefully you're ready. And I'm sitting there like, hey, Lord, you know what? As, as nervous as I might feel in my heart, I got to say it. Because I wanted people in the beginning of the year to identify me with Christ. When that time came up, what's your favorite place you want to go to? 
Jerusalem. Who's your favorite hero? Jesus Christ, okay? Because he's my Lord and Savior and all he's done and blah, blah, blah. You could have heard a pin drop in that place. Everybody was sitting there and you can just feel the agitation of the demons. But I made it clear that day, I'm either gonna get a talking to or I'm gonna identify with Jesus Christ. But I have made it clear in my mind that Lord, if I'm gonna be serious about this, I'm gonna start the year off right. Everybody's gonna know that I love you and that I'm in line with you. So, you know, be careful what you say around me because I'm gonna say what I need right. to say. But you know, I wanted that and he provided a way. So look at Acts chapter five. And let's look at uh, verse 20. All right, so Acts five, look at verse 20. It says, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. This was after, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees had thrown him in jail and an angel of the Lord came and let them out, you know, and told them go in the temple. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the Senate and the children of Israel and sent to the prison and have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, uh, saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when uh, the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them uh, whereunto this would grow. So you see the Pharisees themselves, the amazing thing about them is they feared man. Isn't it funny how they tried to lean on the apostles, but many times you'll read in this Bible, they sought to take Christ or the apostles, but they feared the people because the people have called them a prophet, you know, called or referred to them as a prophet. So you see, they were snared by the very thing they were trying to bring on others. You know why? Because they knew not God. They had no fear of God, which made them subjected to the fear of man. So he says in verse 25, then came one and told them saying, behold, the men whom ye put in the prison are standing in the temple and teaching the, uh, teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, but they feared the people lest they should have uh, been stoned. So the people would have stoned the Pharisees and that's what they were worried about. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest and asked them saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So they know that they're the ones that killed Christ. So them preaching Christ is making these guys guilty and telling everybody, you killed the son of God. So they're worried about their reputation. But look at what Peter says in verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior, for, the, uh, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are, we are his witness of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. 
So as you can see this, these guys had no fear. And you see, when you know God, you will not fear man. That's really what it's about because you know that God is real. You know, man, God can call me home tonight and I've got to stand before him. So you see, these guys were heavenly minded and the more heavenly minded they were, the less fear they had on the earth. Because when you fear God, you won't fear man. You'll find that God's will and man's will are two different things. So right now I'm gonna read something, an article on uh, the fear of man. And it talks about what men pleasers do. So this is important while we still got some people left here. It's time to go into it. Let's see. When I download so many videos at one time, it's like I can just put them at the top of the list and it'll end up like in 15. So this is the fear of man. Okay. I don't know. Do I really want to use this one instead? Uh, okay, I'll read this one. This is very small print. But this is something it's talking about that the fear of man does. The first thing, the first sneer that the fear of man brings is deceit. Abraham's heart was gripped by fear, and they were about to enter Egypt. He instructed Sarah to lie. She was uh, so beautiful that he thought they would kill him and keep her uh, for the royal ha uh, harem. So Abraham told Sarah uh, to tell the Egyptians that she was his sister. Sure enough, the prince of Egypt commended Sarah uh, to Pharaoh's house, but God miraculously protected Sarah and plagued the Egyptians. Abraham was justly chastised uh, by Pharaoh for his dishonesty and sent on his way. Sarah and Abraham's half-sister, uh, but more importantly, she was his wife. A half-truth is still uh, a total lie. So she was his half-sister, you know, somewhere down the line, but she was also his wife. So it was a half-truth that she told. It's still a total lie. Uh, people will lie either to gain an advantage or to avoid punishment. Fearing man often weaves a web of deceit. Uh, anyone who was under the spell of the fear of man is double-minded, forever changing directions to suit the circumstance. Deceit is contagious and can be an inherited uh, trait. Isaac did so and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I want to move on. All right, let's go to the second one. This is um, the second snare. This is cowardice. Nicodemus came to Jesus under the shadow of night, John 3 and 2. Perhaps it was his uh, trepidation uh, that caused him to wait until nightfall to approach Christ. Many of the Jewish religious authorities believed on Jesus, but would not confess their faith for fear of being displaced from the synagogue. That's in John 12 and verse 42. Loss of possession trumped the witness they felt in their hearts. They feared the loss of status um, uh, more than uh, they, they desired uh, they desired from and believed on, about Christ. Jesus anointed the blind man's eyes with clay. Then he gave him further instruction to wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, the blind man followed through uh, and was miraculously healed on the Sabbath. Having testified to, to this marvel, 
he was brought before the Pharisees for questioning. Uh, the hierarchy was divided and their opinion as uh, to whether this man was really blind. So they called in his parents. Note carefully these verses. His parents answered them and said, we know that uh, this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means uh, he now seeth, we know not. For who hath opened his eyes? We know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was that he was Christ, I mean, confess that Jesus was Christ, uh, he should be put out of the synagogue. So you see, even those parents couldn't tell the truth. It brought cowardice. This is the third one. This is the third snare, which is compromise. Moses was on Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, and the people were growing impatient. So they approached Aaron and the appointed leader, I mean, the appointed leader, requesting to make them a God to lead them. The people desired a fabricated God instead of the God of Israel. Aaron collected the gold earrings and fashioned a molten calf uh, with the gravening tool. They said, these be the gods of Israel, uh, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Aaron chose to respond to the clamor of the people instead of standing up for the truth. How easy it is to bend the Bible around the prevailing uh, consensus instead of bending the culture around the Bible. Okay, I'm gonna put these articles in the um, description box, but look at the fourth one, disobedience. Saul had received clear instruction to destroy all the Amalekites and their possessions, but Saul chose to make a couple of small exceptions by sparing the king and the best of cattle. Saul's disobedience was costly. God spoke to Samuel and he went directly to Saul, delivering God's eviction notice uh, from the throne of Israel. Uh, so, you know, you guys know that story. So he disobeyed, he feared the people, he brought back cattle for sacrifice and he obeyed. He kept the king of the Amalekites alive and he lost his possession. This is five, the fifth snare, people pleasing. Saul addressed those in servitude concerning their responsibilities toward their masters. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as singleness of heart, fearing God. And then it says, in other words, don't be guilty of turning over or counting or courting approval from men only while they are observing you. Let your service be as unto the uh, Lord, that's Ephesians 6 and 6, regardless of who happens to be looking on or looking at you. Men pleasers are two-faced, okay? They slant their actions and speech uh, to curry favor with their audience. This tactic smacks of hypocrisy and uh, insincerity. Uh, it all, it's all about uh, creating impressions instead of living consistently. People pleasing and people worship are idols that will own and dominate you. Okay, so this is the, the sixth, injustice. Herod was afraid of John the Baptist because he was a righteous and holy man, but Herodias, his wife, hated John because he denounced her adulterous marriage to Herod's 
uh, brought unto Herod, uh, for he said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. This infuriated Herodias uh, at a party, uh, Herod's stepdaughter danced before a full room of guests. Uh, he issued a foolish challenge offering to give her anything she wanted. Her wicked mother Herodias influenced her daughter uh, to request the head of John the Baptist on the platter and turn, Herod ordered the death of John the Baptist. There's another one too, where you even see in Acts chapter 12 that Herod killed John because he thought it would be pleasing to the people. So you see these guys like these politicians and all these leaders, they're all slaves of public opinion. They all will hear that fear getting ridiculed by people and they'll do whatever it is that they wanna do. This is seven, denying Christ. The pre-Pentecost disciples uh, all forsook the Lord at the crucifixion. Here is the revealing account of Peter's denial of Christ. Now, Peter sat without uh, in the palace and a damsel came unto him saying, thou also was with Jesus in Galilee, but he denied before them all saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out of the porch, another maid, notice two women came and saw him and said unto them uh, that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while uh, come unto him, uh, they that stood by and said to Peter, uh, surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and swear saying that I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew and Peter remembered the word of Jesus and said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Under incredible pressure, Peter the rock caved and denied Christ three times in succession. Uh, to his credit, he later died as a martyr rather than deny the Lord again. See, no sin uh, has sent more people to hell than the fear of man. No sin has robbed Christians of witnessing opportunities more than the fear of man. Peter's denial, um, his denial was a verbal and, and, and emphatic. Um, maybe you have never denied Christ with words, but have you ever denied Christ with silence? I think most of us can remember times when we forfeited opportunities to witness for Christ because of this snare. This is eight, passivity. Jesus told the story of a man who was going on a trip. He called his servants and distributed his goods to them. Uh, one received five talents of money, another received two, and the third received one. The first uh, two servants traded and invested the resources and made a profit. Both were co uh, commended and rewarded for their productivity, but the third servant hid the money. The master called, um, called this slothful servant uh, on the carpet. Notice the reply of the wicked servant. He says, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou, uh, has that that has that is done. Uh, this weak need excuse uh, was fear-based. I was afraid. 
He was more concerned about failing uh, than succeeding. So he chose to hide the talent rather than use it. Uh, doing nothing is not an option for followers of the land. Consider uh, the severe consequences of indifference. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that hath abundance, but uh, from him that that not, I mean that hath not, uh, shall be taken away, uh, even that which he hath, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is nine. This is bondage. When the opinions of people loom larger than the opinion of God, bondage is inevitable. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Uh, James 5 and 16, he says, everyone needs someone with whom they uh, can confide, confess, and from whom they, they can uh, draw counsel. Refusal uh, to shame uh, oneself by bringing the dark deeds of the soul into the light builds a self-imposed prison. The grip of besetting sins can, uh, is, can be very powerful. Uh, overcoming these uh, faults is often conditioned by confessing them to a brother or sister. These two, uh, one another commands, confessing to one another and praying for one another is essentially the victory. So the devil wants you to give in lies and in bondage, but God wants to set you free. This is overcoming the fear of man, but it says, so ask yourself, why am I so preoccupied with what others think about me? What's the deal? Biblically, I am obligated to love people, not need them. If you spend your life trying to satisfy self-centered individuals, then you will never love others as you should. Doing God's will is seldom popular. Um, it put Jesus on the cross. You must do the right thing in God's eyes, regardless of the preferences and prejudices of your fellow human beings. The first step toward victory is acknowledgement. If you are sensing conviction in your heart about fearing men, admit it. Grace runs towards the humble. Uh, when you fear, uh, uh, when the fear of man walks in, faith walks out. This snare and stronghold must be demolished by the incredible weapons. Uh, God has placed at our disposal. This is uh, 2 uh, Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Deliverance comes uh, by going vertical. Our hope and help lie farther than the horizon. Uh, it is heaven's power that we read. Our mindset must be rebuilt through the word of the spirit of God and the spirit of God. The resources we need are already in hand. 2 Peter 1 and 3 but these assets must be appropriated by faith. When fear comes knocking, send faith to answer the door. So you see, that's awesome because it is the fear of man that keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do. You know, you're going to offend people and upset people. How much time do we have? I got one more scripture to run to. And then from there, um, we can... Uh, close. We can uh, hear one last little clip of Pastor Price, and we'll close from there. Let's go to John nine, and let's look at verse twenty three.
I know what it is to be afraid. I know what it is to be bullied. And that's why when I say certain things, don't think I'm just coming from a place of courage. I know what it is to be afraid. You know, I know what it is to be bullied, but I remember when I got older and I learned how to put my hands together, they learned to leave me alone. Do you think even with these heavyweight champions that go out and fight, Mike Tyson said he was scared to death before every fight, but you wouldn't know that by looking at it. You know, because courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the presence of fear and the will to go on. You know, it's gonna take courage to be able to stand up and say, you know what, I'm gonna go for it regardless. If you think that you're not gonna be nervous and have butterflies in your stomach, and you think you're just gonna walk out there with no fear, that doesn't happen. Even with the matches and things that I've been through and fights that I've had, I've always had to, I was nervous before, but my dad would always say, after the first punch is thrown, that fear goes out the window. And the more you speak, you know, when you actually open your mouth and say whatever, you'll begin to see the Holy Ghost enforcing you. Then before you know it, you're so bold, you can't shut up because you're in that place of, no, 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 we're going to make this right. And then, look, and then the Lord's got to tell you, calm down, calm down. But you see, he can light a fire in you, but you've got to be willing to be that stick to allow him to throw you in the fire. That's what this is about. All right. No, exactly. So I said to go here. Yeah. John 9, I believe we're going to pick it up in verse 33. He says, if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, thou was altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he was found, when he had found him, he said unto him, dost thou believe on the Son of God? So you guys remember, this was the story of the blind man we were just talking about, that he did tell, he made it clear, I was blind, and now I can see. Jesus Christ healed me, so they threw him out. But you see, when he got thrown out for standing for Christ, look who came to see him. God ain't going to leave you alone. Like he ain't going to say, well, it bees that way sometimes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he's not like that. The Lord came and comforted him because he stood up in faith. So he says, uh, yeah, Jesus found that he was cast out and he said and found him. I mean, when he had found him, he said unto him, does thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which um, see me, that, that, that see not, um, might see, and that they which might see, uh, be made blind. I mean, or see might be blind, okay? They which see might be blind. So in other words, you know, he's gonna, uh, those who are blind to the world, he's gonna allow them to see. Those who think they see, he's gonna leave them blind. That he'll never reveal his truth to someone that believes he's in the truth. I don't need God. That's what made the Pharisees so blind. He kept saying, I'm the son of man. He kept performing miracles, but they just wouldn't see it. So he left them to be blind. But for those who would see, he took them. Those who believed in John the Baptist, what did he say? Even the harlots and the publicans will make it into the kingdom before you. Why? Because they can confess, I'm a sinner. I'm not self-righteous. I need to be saved. 
God can work with someone like that. But when you think you see, man, the, Jesus said, when the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a ditch. So anyway, he says in verse 40, and some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? See, they don't even know the front door from the back door and they're gonna throw someone out. Having fear of man, now they're gonna come to Jesus. Are we blind also? Let's see what Jesus says. Jesus said unto them, if ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, we see therefore your sin remaineth. So you see, when they think that they have it, their sins remain. But when they recognize, Lord, I can't see, then Lord, you need to show me where I'm wrong so that I can see. We got to get out of our wisdom and pursue the Lord's wisdom. I don't think I have anything else here. I've got some other things, but you know, uh, read Colossians 3 in your spare time. Actually, one more place, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Sorry, guys. 1 Thessalonians 2. Then from there, I'm going to finish with this clip of Pastor Price and we'll close out from there. It's not long. But he says something very significant to us having the spirit and walking with God. Yeah, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Let me see if I wrote this right. Am I wrong? Let me see where I am right now. That's when you know it's time to close. All right, it's first Thessalonians two. Okay, now yeah. we're there. And I'm in 2 Thessalonians. No. It's time to shut it down. 1 Thessalonians 2. And it says, look at verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that, we have suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi. We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. Uh, with much contention. So as you can see here, he was shamed. I'm sure they were beaten. They were jailed. All these things went on, but they still wanted to go and preach the gospel. Why? They were not pleasers of men, but pleasers of God. Verse three says, for our exhortation was not of deceit. Now remember, deceit is one of those places that the fear of man will bring about you. He says, nor in uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but, uh, but God, which trieth our hearts. So once again, not pleasing men is why he did it. It was because he knows that God knows the heart. But neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, not a cloak of covetousness, God is witness nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, we, or when we might have been a burdensome as apostles of Christ. This is where we got to get to the place of being where, man, regardless of what we got to face, preach the gospel. But we're only going to do this when God becomes that real to us and we're not pleasers of men. If we truly want to be set free, let us be pleasers of the Lord. Get real with him. Practice on smaller levels until he strengthens you to believe. 
you know, find areas where you can stand for Christ. Okay, there's some things you're not willing to sacrifice yet. Sacrifice those things you can and see what God will do. And after you, after you begin to win battle after battle, you know what you say, you know what? I'm gonna give God control over everything because Jesus and I can knock out anybody. That's where you start to get that confidence. Lord, I know you're with me. I'm not worried about this, but we got, you know, let's start trusting the Lord on smaller levels. You know, if you couples or whatever like that, and go find some mischief. Go somewhere and see somebody. You know what? I think that person needs Christ. All right, I'll tell you what. You just go over there, stand there and talk to him. And I'll just come over and somehow we'll bring Jesus up. And trust the spirit. Get into it. Have a little fun with it, preaching the gospel. Expect to be insulted. And I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. But if it should, let it rub right off your back. It may have hurt what they said. But guess what? That's helping me and trusting God and going forward. Because we're not giving points for being successful. We're giving points for being faithful. But if we got fear of man, we can't be faithful to God. So I'm going to play this last clip of Pastor Price before we close. He's got some key information here that I want you guys to hear. And this came right on time. I'll tell you guys why later. But uh, let me find this. Okay. Here we go. Have a knowledge of the organic nature of the gospel. They don't have the gospel. It's not the real gospel. We've been joining churches and joining up with different denominations and clubs for the last who knows how many years. But there's no life. So now we're seeing the results of it as the civilization begins to degenerate and depravity is setting in because corruption is setting in because there's no life-giving essence to keep it alive. And you're seeing people actually corrupting right before our very eyes. You're seeing them lose their minds. You're seeing them turn to drugs and all kinds of perversion and all kinds of things because the life-giving substance that should sustain them has been withdrawn. So now... God is calling upon a remnant of people who recognize the problem to separate from religion. The final separation is from religion. You start in the Egypt land, Egypt land in the world, you go into the wilderness, wilderness of religion. The wilderness is religion. The final separation is out of the wilderness into the promised land where you finally extricate yourself from religion and become a saint, a sanctified one separated from the wilderness and Egypt. You got Egypt dwellers, you got wilderness dwellers, and you got promised land dwellers. These are the spiritual people who have the life of God. And the difference is, in Egypt, you're subject to somebody else. In the wilderness, you're subject to yourself. And see, every one of those instances, both in the Egyptian life and in the wilderness life, you got inflow. You're sustained in the Egyptian life by somebody giving you something from the outside. See, the master is taking care of the slave. In the wilderness, you're sustaining yourself and you're thinking about things for me, so I want you to give me water out of a rock. I want quail provided for me. I want you to take care of me. The only thing you care about in the wilderness is sustaining self, and it's all inflow. The difference between those two entities, the Egyptian people and wilderness people is, in the promised land, is outflow. Since I got the life in me, I got a river that never runs dry. I got out of my belly flowing what? 
a river of living water. I don't need inflow. It's outflow. So God will then inflow into you from heaven for outflow. So you got a reservoir now that's got a continual fountain building forth from you. So you don't walk around self-conscious. You don't walk around trying to be seen. You don't walk around needing outward validation and verification because I got outflow. I have been accepted in the beloved and I don't need you to validate me. That's the body of Christ. Look at these wounded, rejected people walking around looking for outward validation. They are pitiful. There's nothing worse than a young girl needing some bum to validate her. And they settle for some tattooed, freaked out, perverted sodomite to say you look good, baby. That validates you, that gives you worth. This bomb, you need a bomb to validate you. That's pitiful. You know why? Because you're a dead spirit. If you don't have the life of God that's flowing out from you, then all you gotta get, all you can look for is inflow. Somebody outside of you to sign up on your existence, to make you feel worth something. And you always got to depreciate yourself and grovel at the feet of the devil to be accepted by him. He won't accept you until you become a low-down, dirty, subhuman entity, and then he'll say, you're all right. Halle Berry, you're all right when you go on the monster's ball and, and get naked and act like a dog. Now we'll give you an award. Beyonce, you're a star as long as you're up there twerking half naked on the stage. Nicki Minaj, you're, you're glamorous as long as you're a dog on the stage. Trina, you got to be a dog on the stage. And now the young girls think being a dog and a whore is glamorous because they're looking for inflow. So they see a bunch of sodomite, punked out, freaked out, sissified guys giving worship to these nasty whores. And now since I see these punk boys worshiping a whore, I'll become a whore too so I can get the worship that's due Trina and Nicki Minaj and Rihanna. So you got to now look like them, identify with them, and call it doing my own thing, living my life. I'm doing me. You are doing me lie. You are emulating those dogs in the street, so you'll be accepted by Satan and his freaky, perverted sodomites. That's what's really happening. Amen. That's why we need life, because people are accepting pseudo-life and appending some life-giving force to it when it's just nothing but the groveling at the feet of the devil. And the devil will always degrade you, always humiliate you, make you depraved and animalistic for him to rule over you because that's the totality of what he is. He's not going to accept you with honor, dignity, virtue, valor, righteousness in you because he has none of those qualities. He has to make you into what he is so you'll subject yourself to his filth. And then you find other freaks like you. And call yourself living a life. And y'all church folk don't understand us. I know we don't understand a bunch of freaks and perverts. And then those people that identify with it, they're offended at me because that's their life type. You see, they have an essence of, a, of, a, of organic existence because that's their very life type. That's what offends them. It's the life of God in you. So what do you do? You see evidences of the life of God forming in you. What you got to do is dig deeper. Yeah. If I'm digging for gold, when I see just the line of gold on the surface and I get a few feet down, that's telling me what? I hit a vein. I hit a vein. So what do I need to do? I need to dig deeper. See, the problem with most of us, we ain't dug deep, deep enough for gold. The gold is in there. He says, I bought the whole world to get out what? Treasure. But he buried it. It's a buried treasure. That's why you got to seek, ask enough. 
you got to keep going. And the deeper you go, guess what? The resistance gets stronger because the devil knows you're an imminent threat. If you hit gold, gold, the devil knows he can't stop you because you're invincible because you tapped into the into the main vein, God's vein of gold. That's why it says, I, 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 I'm counseling you, I'm cautioning you, I'm telling you, buy from me gold tried in the fire. That's Christ. Christ been tried in the fire, but he's been through death. He's been through the annals of death. He's been tried by death. He has overcome death and the grave. I need Christ in me. I need to see Christ formed up in me. And we're picking up resistance from an unseen entity that's trying to do nothing but fight the life. See, forget about the devil fighting you and trying to not like you and trying to do stuff to you. He's trying to fight the potential life in you. He doesn't want that life to come forth. That's what he's after. He could care less about you as a person. Don't tap into that main vein of gold. Don't let Christ come forth. He knows that God only deals with God. You can, you can eliminate you from the whole equation. It's Christ. When he permeates your thinking processes, when Christ permeates your feelings, when Christ permeates your emotions, you have been characteristically turned into the very image of Christ because you allowed that goal to well up in you. You allowed that river to flow through you and it transformed you. That's the transformation of the inner man. Now you're transformed in your mind. You become a new kind of person. And I'm going to show you the, the thing the devil does to deter you away from Christ. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. He wants to deter us away from this life. Now listen to what I'm saying. If you're sitting here right now, that's supernatural. To be drawn here, to be able to sit here is supernatural. You know why? Because the vast majority, majority of church people have no appetite for this whatsoever, what I'm saying. None. If you can hear this, that means that God is supernatural to already intervened in your life and given you the ability to sit here seeking after something that the majority of church people have no idea even exists. They go to church every Sunday and Wednesday to hear squalling and somebody acting like a fool and they get nothing out of it and then they pretend like it was anointed and it was deep. Think about what I'm saying. But if God intervenes in your life and tells you what he's after and he tells you that you pray with purpose now, you're seeking that gold mine. You fast with purpose now. So I'm not just going on a fast. I'm mining, man. I'm digging deeper. I'm looking to tap that mother load, that, that main vein. See, that's why you're doing it. You're not doing it just to be with a group going on a fast, a corporate fast, and we're having a prayer meeting. No, but I'm in prayer with a purpose. You got to do what you do with God with a purpose. Because you're seeking after the life that you know is buried in you. There's a buried treasure down in your spirit. If you lose consciousness of the outer court, the outside world, you lose consciousness of the inner court self, and you finally get a God consciousness, when you're conscious of God in your spirit, you're going to see a paradigm shift happen in your life because you're going to see the world from the inside out. Yes. See, the world won't dictate to you. I'm looking at you from the inside out. Who's looking at you? Christ! He said, you lied. You didn't lie to me, man. You lied to the Holy Ghost. And in the presence of the Holy Ghost, Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. Because now you got a manifested God. God can be concealed, but buddy, a lot of folk don't want God to be revealed. 
-hmm. You'll find as the church universally gets closer to this manifestation, you're going to find what? Four dropping away from it. Because I'm not prepared for this. Y'all going to live in an inferno. And I'm not allowed, I'm not ready to get us out of inferno because Christ, the Bible says, our God is a consuming fire. For God to actually come alive in you, the Bible says he makes his ministers flames of fire. You're going to be inflamed. And everybody afraid of a burning man. You don't get close to a burning man because he might just ignite you. Ignite you. That fast, fantastic full guy, the, the, the torch, the human torch. Anybody gonna stand on next to the human torch? Man, you're gonna get consumed. That's how you want to walk around. Why do you think the demons cry out when Jesus walked in the room? They didn't see just a man, they saw an inflamed, a burning man. That terrifies them. You want to be a man and woman set on fire by the power of the Holy Ghost. And this is not theory. What I'm telling you will happen to you. You keep on pursuing Christ. You keep on knocking at that door. You keep on begging Christ and laying prostrate before Christ. When other folk out there playing around and cutting the food and hanging around and going to the to the to the to the entertainment centers, and you're at home in hot pursuit of Christ, the Bible says, "You draw nigh to me, and I will draw nigh to you." He'll come see you because of your dedication, because of your sanctification, because of your consecration, because of your intestinal fortitude that says, I will not let you go until you bless me. You are going to see me. I'm coming in here and I want to be heard and I want to be acknowledged and I want to be bathed in the baptism of the Holy Ghost and inflamed. This is a baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire. We need inflammation. The problem with the church is the church is not on fire. I made no apologies to these guys from Houston. I told them, get here. Everybody inside here, get here. I don't care about your job. I don't care about your family. This is the consolidation of the church, man. This is the only thing that matters. We're the only hope the world has. I can care less about the rest of it. I don't know how you'll figure it out. This is a command structure now, buddy. This is command military authority. We're moving into a wartime setting. We're about to end the world, not save the world. The manifestation of the sons of God is a terrifying thing. Because we're not here to fool around with nobody. I'm going to show you what's going to resist this thing as we go forward. Second Timothy chapter 3. Look at this. This know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be what? In the inner court, the soulish man loves himself. He won't allow Christ because all I care about, you tell them anything, the first thing they think about, well, what am I going to do? How is it going to affect me? How am I going to do this for me? It's all about me, mine, I. Who cares about you? This is an army built around Christ. The Bible says David's mighty men of valor, they had one purpose in mind. Made David the king at my expense. When he built that temple, everybody started bringing gold and silver and, and, and bringing artifices and men that was goldsmith and ironsmith. Man, what are we going to do? We're going to build this temple, man. Amen. We're going to build this temple at my expense. It's going to be built on my back, my labor, my sweat, my toil. This temple is going up because we want the presence of God just that bad. And his presence did what? His presence filled the temple. It takes sacrifice to build the temple of the Lord. And the temple of the Lord is made of 
Humans don't, man. Not cut out with human hands. We are the vessels that build the temple. That's why I pray that doing much time. Now, go ahead, brick and mortar. You need the vessels that are human to be in this place because you got to become a vessel of prayer, a vessel of fasting. You got to become a priest and servitude to the high priest. Jesus is a priest, a high priest over a kingdom of priests. What am I coming to the dunamis tabernacle for? Because I'm a priest in the temple. I'm offering up the sacrifices of. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. I'm going to show you how this thing works. First of all, you got to you got to separate yourself and purify yourself. When you purify yourself, you're fit to pray. You're purified to pray. When you purify and pray, you're going to expect persecution because it's going to come. A purified prayer people are going to accept persecution because we're ramming and slamming and going against the forces of hell. I don't care about that because you're not conscious of persecution. I'm conscious of Christ. I'm purified for prayer. Persecution comes. Ignore it. Ignore it. It has nothing to do with your relationship with Christ. Now, when you're purified and you're praying, persecution comes. As a result of persecution, God brings more Power. And when power comes, guess what you become? A manifested son. You heal the sick. You cast out devils. You lay hands on the sick. They recover. You open blind eyes. You cast out demons. What? You're manifesting the kingdom. And guess what? You know why people don't have a heavy praise in church? Because when you see the demonstrated power of God, and when you see people really get out of chairs, wheelchairs, when you see blind eyes really open, when you see tumors dissolved, when you see folk really restored to normal, you see insane people like the gathering demoniac restored to their right minds. You see withered hands restored. You know what will happen? Praise will ignite because you praise God for what he has done. That's why people don't praise God because he ain't done nothing. That's why you get dead folks sitting in church just wanting how they lift their hands. Because you let them do something and the place will ignite because of what he has done. You praise God for what he has done. I'm not here to fabricate something, make believe something that God, the Lord showed it move. Ain't nothing happened. Quill a cripple in and will a cripple out again. No, man, you praise God for what he has done. He has done wondrous works amongst us. They came out of Egypt, man. There were wondrous works done. There were miraculous works done. When Jesus walked there, there were miracles performed. When they came out of the upper room, they hit the street, man. Gave called beautiful man standing up. Dorcas raised from the dead. Folks, man, stuff breaking out everywhere. Philip had this power. Stephen had this power. The wondrous words enlisted, enlisted praise. Man, you got to praise God for this, man. Praise God for what he's done. He's done marvelous things. And here we are with this, this thing higher than you. Think about you sitting here right now, the thing inside of you, the potential is there. And it's being capped off by flesh. Capped off by what the Bible calls the cares of this world. And you become unfruitful. See what the devil's doing? Look what he's doing right here in Second Timothy. Self. All right. So, you know, I'll put that video also in the description box because um, he's got a lot of important information in that. But, you know, I just want to say tonight that hopefully we have an understanding of the dangers of people pleasing, the dangers of men pleasers, 
It puts you on a collision course with God. The Bible says whom the son is set free is free indeed. But if we're going to be pleasers of men, and that's how we live, we're going to find ourselves in bondage, in deceit, going through all sorts of things. And that's not why Christ came. We can't call ourselves Christians if we're going to remain in bondage. We got to get to the place of being set free. God don't want you living in fear. He doesn't want you living in compromise. He wants a one-to-one relationship with you that he can live in us and grow out through us. I mean, imagine Jesus afraid of the Pharisees. Imagine Jesus afraid to do anything because he worried about the fear of man. That wouldn't be much of a savior. But we got one who is alive and well and sitting at the right hand of the Father on high, and he's given us everything that we're going to need to be pleasers of God and not of men, so that one day he can tell us when he sees us, well done, thou good and faithful servants. So from here, I'm gonna close. I just wanna say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is time. You can repent of your sins. Don't make excuses for them, confess them, because our God is faithful and just, to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believe he is the only way to be saved. Believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, get baptized, get into God's word. You know, ask the Lord to forgive you of all the things that you had done. God will make it right in your life and believe that he, that he died, was buried, and resurrected, and he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. So from there, uh, let's pray, and I guess we'll go out from there. Thank you, Jesus. You want to pray? All right. Sister Sarah's praying. Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, for another day that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord God, for another opportunity that we have to come before you, Lord God, to worship before you, Lord Jesus Christ. Praise yes, you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord, to, to, to know and understand your truth, Lord Jesus Christ, and what you're calling us to be in this day and age that we're living in, Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to say thank you, Lord God, for your, your grace and your love and your mercy and your long suffering and your patience with us, Lord Jesus Christ, because you most definitely need it. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, we are not to frustrate your grace, Lord. There, there's going to come a time, Lord Jesus Christ, that we do have to be baptized with that fire, Lord God, that we have to get set on fire for you, Lord. Set us ablaze, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us be sanctified. The first thing that has to happen, Lord Jesus Christ, is we have got to be clean from the inside out. Jesus. Lord Jesus, give us a new heart, Lord God. Clean us out. Take away all the filthiness, Lord Jesus Christ, out of our lives. Take away the compromise, Lord God, out of our lives. Take away standing on the sidelines out of our lives, Lord Jesus Christ. That we say, well, I just washed my hands of it. No, it can't be that way. We're in this whether we want to be or not. And so we might as well stand for you, Lord Jesus Christ, even if it means we've got to lose everything in the process. What is it if we have a house? What is it if we have a car? What is if we gain the whole world and to lose our very soul, Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, because we're going to have blood on our hands when we stand before you, Lord God, if we don't make it right with you, if we don't repent of the things in this life that we have compromised, things in this life, thoughts, Lord Jesus Christ, things that we've spoken that were not of your spirit, Lord Jesus Christ. All that has got to go away. It's got to come out of our life, Lord Jesus Christ, that we serve you, the true and only holy God that there ever was, 
and that there is, yes, and there Lord. will ever will be, and that is you, Jesus Christ, you, on Jesus. this solid rock that we stand, and that's where our faith is at. Yes, the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who claims to be a follower and believer of you, Lord God, that we not shame the name of Jesus, yes, but that Lord. we hold fast, but that we proclaim Thank the you, name Jesus. of Jesus, because if we have you, Lord God, we have everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Send down the Holy Spirit. Send down the fire that we will serve you, Lord God, with everything that's within us. You get, you come back till Christ be formed in us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the brethren and the sisters that listen in tonight, Lord God. Touch their lives. Watch over them. Build them up, Lord God, that they will serve you as well. Thank in you, Jesus. Jesus Christ, your most holy name, I pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, I also want to ask you, Lord, to protect Sister Tara's sister, Lord, that you gain ground there, that the enemy not has a foothold. We ask, Lord, that all shackles of new age or anything, Lord, any demonic presence in Jesus' name, be it in the house or out, that you find the devil, Lord. Snap those bands, Lord, for your anointing breaks the yoke. So I pray for a special anointing over our sister Tara, Lord. I thank you for the news today that our sister Heather is beginning to heal. And our brother Gary, Lord, that's been in prayer, Lord, I just thank you for watching over them and guiding them. I pray for my brother, Michael Adams, Lord. I pray for uh, sister Teresa and her family, Lord, in Texas, that you watch over her. And I just pray for all my brothers and sisters that are listening, Lord, give them an anointing, give them purpose, Lord, place these lively stones where you want them to be, that they may go and do what you have called them to do not as men pleasers, but as lovers and pleasers of the living God. I pray that funds be released, Lord, for Dunamis Tabernacle, Lord. I pray that people get the organic gospel book. I pray for our ministry as well, Lord, as we're suffering a drought, but Lord, we trust you. We believe you, Lord, and we know that there is nothing that you can't do, that we believe you in spite of circumstances, for you have never failed us, and we just know in Jesus' name, that all that matters is Christ, for you are the bread of life. So we just pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, brothers and sisters, uh, Westfax, uh, who else? Uh, Sister Tara, Sister uh, Tatiana, Brother Mark, uh, there's others on tonight. I know I'm not gonna catch every name, but uh, Brother Timotheus, okay, who else? Sister Teresa also, what's that, sir? Oh, yeah, my sister Dawn was on tonight. Um, also, uh, Brother Mike was on tonight. So I just want to say with that, um, next week's teaching is going to be at 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, and that will be 6 p.m. Eastern time. So I just want to say till next time, give everything up to the Lord. Don't forsake your prayer closet. Subscribe to the channel if it's been a blessing. And with that, I love you all. Have a good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.